Well, Matthew chapter 17, we're going to continue walking through our sermon series, the sermon series today, which is uh, Beyond Belief. It's a a look at, a study of a lot of the miracles that Jesus performed during his time on this earth. Obviously, we're not going to be hitting every single one of them, but we're going to hit a lot of them. And we're going to talk about what Jesus said and what he did and, and most importantly, and why he did it and how it can impact and influence our lives today. Now, today, the one that we're going to be talking about is one that, to be quite honest with you, is one you don't hear a lot of sermons about. Uh, In fact, it's only recorded here in the book of Matthew. It's not found in any of the other Gospels. And it's kind of an interesting little, uh, kind of a quirky little miracle, if you will. And you'll see what I'm talking about in a few moments as we read this passage. It takes place after the Transfiguration. In the first part of Matthew chapter 17, when Jesus was up on the mountaintop there and and obviously the disciples, they had the opportunity of, of witnessing something that, that, that changed their life, no question about it. But, but then they also heard the voice of God. When you read that passage in the first part of Matthew chapter 17, as Jesus was standing there and as the disciples were watching and the disciples fell on their faces before Jesus because they heard the words of God and God spoke, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now you can imagine that if you were today walking anywhere here at this church or anywhere throughout the rest of this day and all of a sudden you hear this big booming voice that came down from heaven and shook the ground where you were standing, I pretty much guarantee that it's going to scare you to death and you probably would fall on your knees as well hearing the voice of God. That's what took place. But after that, It says that Jesus went up to Galilee with his disciples, as he often did. We talked about that last week. I showed you that map of the Sea of Galilee. And and then they they found their way up to Capernaum, to uh, the city where Jesus kind of headquartered his ministry during those last three years of his life. And then we come to, again, this, this, this strange little miracle. And we're going to read this passage, Matthew chapter 17. And if you have your Bible journal with you, it's, uh, it's going to be on page, uh, let's see here, it's going to be on page 90 of your uh, Bible journal. And we're going to read verses 24 and following. And, and here's what happened. It says, when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to pe- Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And then he said, Peter said, yes. And when he had come into the house, Peter, speaking up, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? And Peter said to him, from strangers. And so Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea. And this is where it gets a little quirky here, a little interesting. Go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you'll find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Now, as you can tell already, this miracle is a little bit different than all the other miracles, right? Because when you look at all the other miracles of Jesus, it's always where he's healing someone or that he is raising someone from the dead or feeding 5,000 plus people with, you know, five biscuits and two chicken biscuits. Remember that? For those of you who weren't here last week, that's not in the Bible. Okay, that's a, that's a reference. You got the inside story from last week. Um, yeah, you see all these miracles that Jesus did. He was always performing these miracles that impacted and changed the lives of people, other people. This is the only miracle that Jesus did 
for himself. It's the only one where it actually was something that referred to and dealt with something that he himself was doing. And obviously only recorded here in the book of Matthew, probably because Matthew, well, let me ask you a pop quiz. How many of you remember what Matthew was before he became a disciple? Very good. Awesome. First one out of the gate here. Tax collector. So he probably, you know, recorded this because it deals with this idea of the tax. Okay. Now, the temple tax, what we read about a few moments ago, it was not like taxes like paying the government. It wasn't April 15th in Capernaum. Okay. They were not paying their income taxes. This was the temple tax. If you go all the way back to Exodus chapter 30, verse 13, I think it is, 12 or 13. Um, there, God instructed the people of Israel that you were to pay uh, a half shekel uh, every, every year for a temple tax, which was for the upkeep of the tabernacle at that time, later the temple. And so for every Jewish male, adult Jewish male, every year they had to pay this, uh, th- this fee, this temple tax to the temple in order to keep the temple up. Now you saw a couple of weeks ago when Charles uh, showed a picture of what the temple looked like. He showed a model of the temple that's there in Jerusalem today that you can see. And it was a pretty amazing structure. And so obviously for the upkeep of that temple, God instructed and God uh, you know, ordained this, this moment back in Exodus chapter 30 that they would pay this every year. Now, it was only for adult Jewish males. Uh, rabbis didn't pay it. Priests did not pay it. Uh, you know, didn't find uh, women paying it or children paying it. Uh, Gentiles, uh, Samaritans, they weren't allowed to pay it. And so it was only for this group, this, this group of adult males that they collected it every year. And in every city, in every area, every region of Israel, uh, throughout Judea, throughout Samaria, wherever Jewish people happen to be, that is exactly where uh, they would have these collectors, these people who would collect the temple tax. So again, when we read a few moments ago that when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax, these were the guys who were responsible for collecting the money up in Capernaum. And Capernaum, again, is north, uh, north east of Jerusalem, a, a good ways if you're certainly, it's really a good ways if you're walking. And, and so it's a, it's a pretty decent distance there up north. And so these individuals would collect that tax. Now, so there's some lessons that we can learn. There's kind of three ideas, th- three thoughts that I want to give you today as it relates to this story, this quirky little miracle story that I want to give to you that can, that can help us understand, like, why is this in the Bible? Like there was not a person who was sick who was healed here. There was not a blind man who could see. There was not a deaf who could hear. There was not a dead man who had been raised. Uh, There was not a feeding of a large group of people. There was not something miraculous that was done here. It was just kind of this weird little story. Why is it here? And the first thing I want to share with you is that being in the family makes all the difference. Being in the family of God makes all the difference. Go back to this passage, verse 24 It says, when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Now, the reason they asked that question, again, they're north of Jerusalem. These are probably not very well-trained. They're probably not very learned individuals. Their their job is just to collect that money, just to get that money every year from all the people. And so Jesus, who had spent a lot of time in Capernaum, Peter, who actually was from Capernaum. If you remember, Peter's mother-in-law was there. Her house was right there in that area. Um, 
These were individuals who asked this question, and they weren't asking it like testing Jesus. They were not looking for a fight. They were not, you know, itching to kind of get into it with Jesus. They were simply asking Peter, hey, so does your teacher, it's important because teachers, rabbi, remember I told you a few moments ago that the priests and the rabbis were not required to pay the temple tax. And so they were simply asking a, a simple question, a non-threatening question. Hey, does your teacher, does the rabbi over here, does he pay the temple tax? And then Peter answered the question, well, yes, he does. And then when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated. In other words, Jesus saw it coming. Jesus knew this was a teachable moment. And so when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? He looks at Peter like, hey, so what do you think, Peter? I heard, I know the question you were just asked is, does your teacher, do, do I pay the temple tax? So what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? And Peter said to him, from strangers. Then Jesus said to him, and you had to underline the highlight circle in your notes, Bible, whatever it might be, then the sons are free. Now the idea that Jesus was saying here is like, okay, so Jesus, right, so Peter, listen up. When you think about this idea, again, of the temple, let's go away from the temple for a moment. Let's go back to the idea of a king and a palace, a king and a, and a kingdom. And so when the king collects taxes from the people, does he collect it from his own family or does he collect it from the people that are within the kingdom, the subjects, if you will, of the kingdom? Like, who does he collect the tax from? And Peter obviously answered the question correctly, and he said, well, we... We, we collect it from, uh, from those in the kingdom. He doesn't collect it from his own family. The idea is the king doesn't, you know, wake up in the morning and, and go to the queen and say, okay, it's time for you to pay your taxes, woman. You know, that doesn't happen. He doesn't walk down the hall of the palace and wake up all of his kids and say, okay, guys, it's time for you to pay your dad. You know, pay, pay me the tax because I'm the king. And he doesn't do that. He collects it from the subjects. And so that's the, the lesson that Jesus is giving here. And so Peter answers, so obviously we get it from the subjects, we get it from the foreigners, and, and that word foreigners really is not a good translation. It really means like the people of the kingdom. And so then Jesus said this statement, then the sons are free. In other words, because Jesus was saying, I am the son of God, the temple is the house of God, I am the son of that God, therefore I shouldn't have to pay this. And see, so what he's saying is that because I'm in the family, because I'm a child of the king, because I'm the son of the king, like I shouldn't have to pay this tax. Now, when you look in the idea of this whole picture of, uh, of, of what was taking place, it took place again in the city of Capernaum. In fact, here's a picture of, of kind of what you see today when you arrive in Capernaum. You'll, you'll arrive there. The spelling's a little bit different there. But this is the gates of this, of this ancient city where Jesus had his, his, uh, his headquarters, if you will. And if you were to walk through that gate and walk down probably about 100 yards or so on the left-hand side, you would find this structure. And this structure is the synagogue that was there in Capernaum. Uh, let's switch pictures. Go to number two there, if you would. There it is. And that's the synagogue. That's the actual synagogue where, where, where Jesus went to worship. In fact, you can read other passages of scriptures. Jesus taught in that synagogue. Jesus cast a, a demon out of a man in that synagogue. You can go over to the corner to the right-hand side, and you can actually look down where the original flooring, the original uh, mosaic floor of that synagogue are still there from 2,000 years ago. It's standing in the actual spot where Jesus himself taught. 
And when you see this and you go right outside of that synagogue, you look out over the city of Capernaum, go to the next picture if you would, and you'll see, and the synagogue's there to the left. You can see the building, the stones that are there. Those stones have been added since. They, they, those are stones that have been added to kind of show the structure of the synagogue. But you see to the right, that's actually what makes up the city of Capernaum, of the houses that were there. And right there, if you look at that picture, you'll see there are some people there on the left-hand side. But when I took that picture, I took that picture for this purpose, is that when you look at that area there just to the the outside of that synagogue to the left that's where the people who collect the temple tax that's where they would work that's where they would serve they would be outside in that little courtyard uh, in between the houses to the right and the synagogue to the left and they would be there and that's where they would collect the temple taxes right outside the synagogue and so as they were there and they come and say okay so you're a rabbi this teacher because they knew who Jesus was should he have to pay the tax so Jesus says, well, the sons are free. So in other words, the lesson that Jesus taught is, no, I should not have to pay that tax. I'm not subject to that tax because I'm a son of the king. But then he also says that statement in the last part of that passage. And he says, the sons are free. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It means that through his own deity, the fact that he was the son of God, he was exempt from paying this tax, but he was also saying those who were adopted, grafted into the family are the sons and the daughters of the king, and they too should not have to pay. And so, in other words, the idea that was given here is that being in the family makes all the difference. Now remember, Jesus never did anything during his ministry that did not provide a teachable moment. And so, we're going to start with that statement, being in the family makes all the difference, but Oddly, right after he says, no, I'm not subject to this tax. No, I should not have to pay this tax. The sons are free. Interestingly enough, he went right on after that and said something completely different. He contradicted himself, and there's a reason why. Which brings us to the second statement, that while being in the family makes all the difference, the second idea that he gives us, but we must be a witness. So look at verse 27. The first part of verse 27, he says these words. He says this, nevertheless, lest we offend them. Now think about that statement for a moment. You hear that word, nevertheless. In other words, it literally is saying, it's like, hey, this is the answer. This is truth. But we're going to do something different. This is what is reality. But we're going to do something different. And why does he want to do something different? Well, he says, nevertheless, lest we offend them. The idea that Jesus gave here is, listen, he knew that if he were to say, no, I'm not going to pay that tax, that these, these um, you know, unlearned tax collectors, the temple tax collectors, that they're probably going to sit there and think, okay, this is a Jewish male, an adult male, who's not going to pay his taxes. And they, you know, they're sitting back saying, listen, that, that's above my pay scale. And they were going to have to send the message back to Jerusalem to say, okay, so, hey, there's this guy here named Jesus, and he's refusing to pay the temple tax. Now, again, pop quiz, you, answer, you, you can't answer this one, okay? You already, you know, it's like a radio station, you've already won within 30 days, so you're going to have to hold off. Uh, for someone else, if that message, if the tax collectors had sent that message back to Jerusalem, that there was a man named Jesus who was refusing to pay the temple tax, 
Why would that be a controversy back in Jerusalem with the people, the, the religious leaders back in Jerusalem? Can anybody tell me? Okay, I will let you tell me, okay? Because nobody, okay, uh, it's easy, right? If you read the scriptures, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, what did they want to do to Jesus? They wanted to kill him. They wanted to stop him. They were looking for an excuse to take this man down. And so Jesus said, nevertheless, lest we offend these people, because Jesus was making it very clear, like even though I'm not subject to this tax, even though I shouldn't have to pay it because I'm a son of the king, and even though the sons of the king are are exempt from paying this temple tax, we're gonna pay it, why? Because Jesus knew that he had come to this place, he'd come to this moment to seek and to save what? The lost. The people who were collecting the temple tax. The people of the city of Capernaum. The people who were found throughout that region. The people back in Jerusalem who served at the temple. He had come to seek and to save that which is lost. And he knew that if he did something that offended this large group of people to contribute to the idea that he did not see the value of the temple, which by the way, the temple was the house of who? The house of God. If the people heard that, then you can see that it would create a problem for him to preach the gospel if he were actually putting down the place where God resides. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to get rid of all the things that you've always done. He said, I came to do what? Fulfill it. He came to actually bring fulfillment to what had always been going all the way back to the book of Exodus and beyond. Like he had come to fulfill it. And so Jesus said, no, so we don't want to offend these people. We want to make sure that we understand and recognize like, like we want to take care, but we must do something different here. And so that's the message that's given here is he makes it clear that, that I came to save them. So therefore, we're actually going to do what they've asked to do. So then that brings us to the third point. And the third point is just simply this. So the idea, we've already talked about it, we've already read it here, is the first part, being in the family makes all the difference, but we must be a witness. But now, he basically says this, so don't worry, be happy, because I've paid it all. So don't worry, be happy, because I've paid it all. And how did he pay it all? Well, this is where the quirky part of the story comes in. Verse 27, the second part of that verse. Go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you've opened its mouth, you'll find a piece of money, and take that and give it to them for me and for you. Now, if you've got your Bibles open, like how many of you have your little Bible journals here in the room? Like where you've got a bunch of you, awesome, great. How many of you following along in your phones? Hold your phones up, following along, great, awesome. Okay, and so if, how many of you like have other Bibles with you? Great, get your pens ready. For those of you who have your phones, your iPads, get your fingers ready to highlight because I'm gonna give you some pretty incredible statements when we talk about the miraculous move and the hand of God of what he said here. The first one is found in the second part of that verse, verse 27. He said, go to the sea and cast in a hook. Now, the one thing that you will not find anywhere else in scripture, from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, there's lots of fishing that takes place throughout the scriptures. I mean, they're eating a lot of fish over there, right? I mean, we know the story. They ate a lot of fish. 
But here's what you will not find in any other place but in Scripture except for in this verse, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 27, in the second part of that verse, where it says, throw in the hook. Everywhere else, they throw in what? The net. Everywhere else, it's throw in the net. And why did you throw in a net to catch fish? To get a lot of them, right? In other words, every time they went fishing, they didn't want to catch one fish. They wanted to catch a bunch of fish. They wanted to get as many fish as they possibly could to provide food for themselves, to be able to provide income, to sell them, to uh, provide income for their families. It was always about like, hey, we want to get a lot of fish. But here in this one place in scripture, Jesus says, hey, go down to the sea and cast in the hook. Hey, guys, do me a favor. Put the picture back up there, the third picture, if you would, of the synagogue with the houses in front of it. Now, you'll see here, you've got the synagogue to the left. You've got the houses that the people lived in in Capernaum there. These are the the foundations of those houses that were right there in the foreground. But if you look back to the right over there, you see what? You see the sea. Well, you also see a tree. Okay, but if you look beyond the tree... Does everybody see the the blue water back there? How many of you see the blue water? How many of you do not see the blue water? How many of you need glasses? Okay, no. So all the way in the back of that picture, you can see that there's this line that goes across. It's like a light blue line. That's the Sea of Galilee. It's about 100 yards, if you will, from the synagogue, from the houses in Capernaum, about 100 yards down to the water. I've been there many times. You can walk right down to the water. And that is where... Going back in scripture, that's where Jesus walked along the water and he called Peter and Andrew and James and John to follow him and he would make them fishers of men. That's exactly where it happened. And so Jesus said, hey, go down to the sea. Now he wasn't saying that from the context of like, if I told you today, hey, I want you to go to the ocean. That's a little bit different, right? Like you're not going to walk out here and walk 100 yards across the parking lot. If you walk across 100 yards across the parking lot, you're going to be at Applebee's, right? But here you walk 100 yards, you're going to be at the sea. So he says, go to the sea and throw in a hook. That's a weird thing for Peter. Peter's like, a hook? Like, seriously? Like, like one hook? I'm going to go for one fish? This is the start of a miracle. So he says, go to the sea and cast in a hook. And take the fish that comes up first. Highlight and underline the next statement. And take the fish that comes up first. Now, the Sea of Galilee is not a huge sea, but it's pretty big. And as we already know from Scripture, there are just umpteen millions of fish that are in this sea. And here's Jesus saying, okay, I want you to go. Don't throw in a net. Throw in a hook. I want you to catch one fish. And I want you to catch. And that very first fish that you catch, I want you to pull out that fish. Now, Peter's sitting back thinking, okay, what, where's he going with this? I mean, like, what does this, how does this even make sense? Take the fish that comes up first, and when you've opened its mouth, here's the really weird part. You will find a piece of money. Now, when you go to Israel today and you go to the Sea of Galilee, if you go like on a tour of Israel, one thing that is always a part of the tour, and you guys have been with me, we've done this together, right? Uh, when you go to Israel and you do a tour, uh, they will take you to a restaurant that is near, like right on the Sea of Galilee, right, looking out over the water. You've been there, Teresa and Stuart, you guys know. And you have a lunch, and they call this St. Peter's Fish. 
This is a meal that today, like, like restaurants serve, and it's always part of the tour. And it, when you get that meal, St. Peter's fish, it looks like this. Right here. Now, wait a minute. I'm shaking. Okay. This is what my St. Peter's fish looks like. Now, you'll notice that the fish hasn't been touched, basically, right? I took a picture of the fish, and I took a picture of the empty McDonald's french fry container. Because what I have learned, and it's not in scripture, but I will let you know that at the Sea of Galilee, if you walk down the main street of Tiberias and you come to the sea, and you take a left, and you walk about 100 feet, there's a McDonald's there. (laughs) And it's why I still to this day love to go to Israel and visit. I love for other reasons, but, but so, so when you go, you have this St. Peter's fish and, and it's the funniest thing because you go and, and when you have this meal and all the people are gathered, hundreds of people gather together and they bring this meal and they put it in front of you. The French fries are not there, by the way, I promise you. It's just, just the fish. When they set that fish in front of you, there's always two looks that you get from people, right? The first look is like, I ain't touching that. And then the second is people who reach down, man, they're digging in there and they're going to town eating this fish and thinking it's the greatest thing in the world. I am in camp number one. I'm not touching that fish. That's why I walked to McDonald's ahead of time and got my McDonald's french fries and and chicken nuggets and I had already eaten them and I'm just having the fish there looking at it like, yeah, it's St. Peter's fish, how rude it would be for me to eat his fish. I'm not gonna do that. But that's what it looks like. So this is the kind of fish that you would find. You would find that Peter went out and, and he would go out and he took that hook and he, he threw that hook out into the water. And when he threw that hook out into the water, he caught this fish. He caught this fish and he caught this fish because Jesus had a miracle in mind. And this miracle that Jesus had in mind was to say, in all of this controversy that is coming up, he's basically saying something like this. Wait for it. Yeah, he's saying, don't worry, be happy, because I've got this under control. Like, I've got this taken care of. And so Jesus throws this, Peter throws the hook out there, and he catches this fish, and he pulls the fish out of the water. And when he pulls the fish out of the water, the first fish out of this huge sea with one single hook, Jesus says this weird thing. I'll put that right there. I'm not throwing fish out today to, to eat like I did biscuits last week. But he said, pull that fish out and take the fish and open its mouth and reach inside and you're going to pull out a piece of money. And so when Peter did that, he pulled that fish out of the water. And when he pulled that fish out of the water, he reached inside of its mouth and he found a coin just like this. Now, obviously, I know you can't all see this coin, so I've got a picture of it here that we'll put up on the screen. And that's the picture of the exact coin that would have been in that fish's mouth. Now, if you remember, you go back, I told you that the temple tax was two days wages. It was two denarius or, or a didrachma is what it was called. And so Jesus said, go out and catch this fish and, and you pull it in. And when you pull it in, reach inside of its mouth and you're going to find a coin. And it says you'll find a piece of money. And the Greek word for that piece of money is the Greek word stoter, which literally means four drachma or two didrachma or four denarius, four days wages. This coin that I have in my hand right now is the exact same coin 
that Jesus said, go find. This is a coin that I actually got in Israel. It's 2,000 years old. It's worth about five or $6,000, this little coin, which is why I keep it in a box. And I'll make sure I don't get mixed up with a dime when I go through the drive-thru, right? I mean, so, and so this coin looks like that. And, and so Peter said, Jesus said, go and pull that fish out. And when you pull the fish out, reach in its mouth, and you're going to see a silver coin. And that silver coin, take it to those who are collecting the tax and give it to them. And remember now, it's four drachma. It's a stater, four drachma, two didrachma, four denarius. In other words... It would pay for both Peter and Jesus for their temple tax. And he says, take it and give it to them and pay for both you and me. And so Peter goes out to the water. He does exactly what Jesus says. Now, there are some liberal theologians out there. I'm going to put this back in the box. I know I'll lose this thing. Um, Peter went out and some liberal theologians say, this story is really not true. This is Jesus using a humorous story and just saying, Peter, just go back to fishing and let the tax take care of itself. I don't believe that for a minute because I believe that God's word is absolute. I believe it's inerrant, infallible, inspired. And I believe that if Jesus said, go down and cast in a hook and catch a fish and pull that fish out and reach in its mouth and you'll find a piece of money and you take that money out, that that money is exactly what Peter did. He did exactly what Jesus said and that's what he found. And so Peter went down, he goes fishing, he throws in a hook, he catches a fish, he pulls the fish out, he reaches in its mouth. You can imagine the shock of all the fish in the sea and he reaches in and all of a sudden he finds this coin. Exactly the way that Jesus said. Now what does Jesus teach us in this lesson? What he teaches is this, is that everything on this earth is under his authority. Can you imagine Peter going out to throw the hook into the water and catching a fish and he pulls this one fish out, not a big net full of fish and has to go through all of them to find it. One fish and he pulls out on a hook and he reaches in his mouth and he finds exactly what Jesus said he would find. It's a pretty amazing story, a pretty miraculous thing and that's what Jesus told him to do and he did it. Now why is this so important for us today? Because I remember I told you this is a quirky story, didn't I? Remember, I told you it was a quirky story, like, like why was this miracle relevant to us? It's relevant because it gives us a picture of the power of God and how everything in this earth is subject to the command of Jesus. So then why is it important? Let me give you four quick thoughts. Four quick thoughts. They'll be on the screen. You can take a picture of it and you can run them down, Whatever. As children of God, this world that we live in should not be our worry. You see, Peter was asked this question, and the way he even answered the question showed concern. When they said, does your teacher pay this tax? And he was like, well, yes. I mean, you can see, you can hear in Peter's, uh, you know, in, in the way that Peter was always kind of like a little bit above, you know, a little bit over the top and everything that he did. You can just kind of sense and you kind of experience it. When, when Peter answered this question, his voice was probably quivering a little bit. He was probably afraid because he was not sure exactly how to answer because he didn't want to answer it incorrectly. He wanted to make sure he said it exactly right. Uh, yes, he, he, he does. And, and probably with a, a little bit of a question mark after the answer, yes. You see, he was worried about the situation that he found himself in. Let's be honest. Isn't that what happens to us pretty much every day of our lives? That as we walk through this thing called life, as we walk through this world in which we live, like we're always finding ourselves worrying about something. 
We worry about everything from the time that we get up in the morning to the time that we go to bed at night. And then in the middle of the night when we wake up, what do we do? We worry. We're constantly worried about what might happen, what could happen, what should happen, what we think is going to happen. 18 different ways that that thing might happen. I mean, let's be honest. Like We're always worried about everything. And then sometimes we're worried about like legitimate things. We're worried about what we're going through. We're worried about a financial need. We're worried about a health challenge. We're worried about a, a situation that we're going through. Like, like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, we constantly have this worry. What Jesus teaches us in this miracle, this quirky little miracle, that like really doesn't make a lot of sense for us today, he teaches us this. As children of God, this world should not be our worry. Because if he can make a coin show up in a fish's mouth at the exact moment that Peter throws in a hook in that exact spot in the Sea of Galilee. What do you think he can do for you? As children of God, we don't need to worry. But while we're here, second point, we need to be in the world, but not of it. In other words, Jesus taught us that we are all witnesses of the gospel. In other words, what we need to do is recognize that we do not have the right as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, as people, part of the body of Christ. We do not have the right to isolate ourselves from the world, to go sit on a mountaintop somewhere and wait for the return of Christ and wait for our heavenly reward that Jesus has promised us in John chapter 14 and Revelation chapter 21 and stay away from the world and say, I'm I'm not in this world. I'm going to go over here and we're going to hang out together. We're going to sing Kumbaya over here and when the world, the world can just go to hell. We don't have that right. What Jesus taught us in this this lesson, this this quirky little miracle is this, is you have a duty and a responsibility not to offend the world in which you live. Why? Because you have been, just as he was, sent into the world to seek and to save that which is lost. I want you to think about what I just said. Jesus made it very clear that his purpose for coming to this world was to seek and to save that which is lost. And understand, understand, that is exactly the reason you are here too. So we're to be in the world, but not of the world because we're a witness of the gospel. The third thing, in the midst of the insanity of this day, Jesus is still a miracle working God in our lives. He is still a miracle-working God in our lives. Now, that's not to say that you guys all need to go out this afternoon and go fishing for a $6,000 coin. If you go out fishing this afternoon and throw in a hook and pull out a fish and reach in its mouth, you will probably get bit or you will not find a coin. That's probably not going to happen. But the miracles that Jesus performs today are miracles that are far more important. As I'm sitting here today, I look out in this room and I see Jonathan Bonar here. I've known Jonathan for a long time. He's a dear friend. Stand up, Jonathan, if you will. This guy's been a pastor at a lot of great churches around the country and just moved back to the area with his wonderful family. And, and, and a few years ago, I, I got this message that Jonathan was battling cancer. And it was the kind of cancer that um, didn't look like it was, things were going to go really well. And that cancer just kept coming back. 
And he's battling and he's fighting and he's working through and his wife standing by his side, his kids like doing, like praying for him. We're all praying for him. People across the country praying for this guy. Now listen, here's what I know. Jonathan didn't go out and throw in a fish hook and catch a fish with a coin. But the miracle he got was something so much better because today he stands before you cancer free. You see... Jesus is still a miracle-working God. And in all of our lives, we may not have a story as dramatic as Jonathan's, but here's what I know. There's not a person in this room that has not experienced the miracle-working hand of God in your life. There are some that are still experiencing that, that are walking through it even today. I know I sit here today, and I know I've experienced the miracle-working hand of God in my life over and over and over again. I was thinking about it this morning back in 2017. In September of that year when I took my wife on our 25th wedding anniversary and I took her to, to St. Martin. And we're sitting there and I'm thinking, man, I really I outdid myself, man. This is awesome. I surprised her and I took her to St. Martin four days before a hurricane came through. <laughs> a Category 5 hurricane that after we arrived... We got the message in the news that it is, was on a dead path coming right for where we were. And on that day in September of 2017, that hurricane hit Category 5 and it hit right where we were staying. Destroyed the building that we were in. At 3 o'clock in the morning, Sherry and I, along with a couple hundred others, on, a, on our wedding night, anniversary night for 25 years, were together. By the way, not the best way to celebrate the 25th anniversary. Three o'clock in the morning, and I'm sitting there in that, that bunker at the bottom of that hotel, and we're sitting there, and I'm, we're just waiting. We hear the storm overhead, and, and an odd thing, I literally was thinking about it this morning, that, that a guy who worked at the hotel, he came in, and he told all of us, get all of your stuff, and we're going to move into a different room. It sounded really stupid to me, because I didn't want to move. It was three o'clock in the morning. I just wanted to sit there. We were fine. Yes, we heard the storm going overhead, but now why do we have to move? And he made us all move, and we moved, and we walked into another room that literally was about 50 feet down the hall. We went into another room. And all the guests in the hotel, we were standing literally like shoulder to shoulder. No room, water up to our knees. It was coming in that room. 20 minutes after he moved us out of that first room, the roof collapsed on that other room. And in the very chair that Sherry, the chairs, the two chairs that Sherry and I were sitting in, 20 minutes before, a massive steel beam fell and came right across both of those chairs and crushed them to the ground. 20 minutes after we moved. That's a miracle. That in some weird thought that this 25-year-old kid who works at a hotel says, you know what? We probably ought to all move down the hall. And he saved our lives. Jesus is still a miracle working God. Which brings us to my last thought that we need to remember. And it's just one word. It's the word trust. If one of you told me to go throw a fish hook into the water and catch a fish and reach in its mouth and pull out a coin... I'm probably not going to do it. I'm probably going to think you're nuts. 
I'm going to laugh in your face. Like, why in the world? This guy's crazy. But you know what Peter did? Peter did exactly what Jesus told him to do. You know why? Because he trusted Jesus completely. So here's my final thought and final question for you. And it's just simply this. Do you. Do you trust him completely? And I would encourage you today that the reason that these few verses are found at the end of Matthew chapter 17 in a quirky little story that taken by itself doesn't make a lot of sense. What I would submit to you today is it makes all the sense in the world to trust Jesus when it does not make sense because Jesus will still do the miraculous for you today. Let's pray. God, thank you for how you take a story that if we were to read it on our own, we'd probably sit back and think, why is that even there? And that you can take a story like that and you can change someone's life. God, I have no doubt that there's someone in this room today that has been reminded that they need to trust you completely. That maybe they've been gripped by worry and fear. That maybe today they are finding, finding themselves where they're lost in their fear to the point where like, they don't know what to do. God, I pray that today that through your word and through this story that you will help to remind them today, God, that even when it doesn't make sense, you've got a plan. So with our heads bound and with our eyes closed, our team is here at the front. The altar is open as it always is. I just want to open the altar to you today that maybe there's some people in this room today that are walking through one of those moments of fear, one of those moments of worry, one of those moments like you don't know what to do, you don't know where to turn. You're walking through one of those moments today where you feel like there's no way out and that today what you need to do is maybe come to this altar and kneel here and just say, God, a simple prayer. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. Maybe that's the prayer that you need to pray at this altar today. Maybe the prayer you need to pray today is that you need to come to this altar and, and just say, this Jesus that you've been talking about, he sounds pretty awesome. I want to meet him. And maybe today what you need to do is come and to talk with one of our team members that are here and just say, introduce me to this Jesus because he sounds pretty cool. Sounds pretty amazing. Like, I, I want to know him. Maybe you want to come today and join our church. Maybe come for baptism. What's cool is you don't have to drive down here like that family did from Long Island. You can actually just walk down the aisle. Maybe that's what you want to do. Whatever it is, whatever that looks like today, like, just respond. Because yes, he is still a miracle working God. And yes, we still need miracles. And yes, we need God to show up and do what doesn't make sense. So do you trust him? Do you trust him? Scott's gonna lead us through one part of this song. And as he does, as we stand, as the altars open, I just encourage you to respond in trust 
to respond to the call and let God do what he desires to do in your life. God, lead us. My foes are many. They rise against me. But I will hold my ground. I will not fear the war. I will not fear the storm. My help is on the way. My help is on the way. Today, we are grateful that you are still a miracle-working God in our lives. And so, God, we want to trust you. God, we want to lean on you. God, we want to run to you. So I pray for every person gathered here, watching or listening. Help us to recognize and understand that our hope is found in you and you alone. And God, we in advance give you the praise of the work you're going to do in our lives. We thank you for it. We thank you for what Jesus has already done to make us sons and daughters of the King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The altar remains open. We would love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. We encourage you, come on down and we'll be here. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.